Well, fears about immigration and racism have been leveraged by politicians aiding the rise of Donald Trump in the US and spurring Brexit in the UK. And we don't fool ourselves that the same fear and resentment of immigrants isn't prevalent in Ireland too. However, the standard narrative is that these attitudes are the preserve of the working classes who, through lack of education and economic instability, are more likely to be intolerant of immigrants. However, my next guest is Martina Byrne. She's a lecturer in UCD's School of Social Policy and she's been researching attitudes towards immigrants. Except she hasn't been talking to poor people. She's been asking the well-educated, economically secure professional classes what they think of immigrants. Martina, why did you do that research and what did you discover? Well, just to pick up on your point about Brexit, there's a lot of talk about, uh, as you say, that the lower classes or working classes voted to leave and the press covered the fact that the professional or higher educated uh, voted to stay to the factor of about 60%. Nobody asked the question, what about the other 40% of the well-educated middle and professional class who voted to leave? And that's really, I suppose, in a parallel with where my interest came from. When I was studying immigration in Ireland, And almost everything I looked at here and indeed across Europe was about how the lower classes, working classes, unemployed, um, that was where racism would be found because of resource competition. And people would highlight competition for jobs, social housing, school places and even indeed hospital beds. We saw that debate in Ireland in relation to the maternity wards indeed uh, back in the early 2000s. But what they didn't ask about was what is the response of the influential, well-educated professionals in the host communities, in this case, say, Ireland? Uh, How do they respond to immigrants? Because if you think about it, they're the people who make the political decisions, the economic decisions. Indeed, even they're the opinion leaders in social and cultural life. So... I thought it was very interesting that they just didn't seem to be discussed. There was a common sense notion that, well, they're not the problem. They are tolerant and they are anti-racist simply by dint of the fact that they're third or fourth level educated and perhaps they're well-travelled. Yeah, you quote a a few uh, papers on that. For example, Hughes et al. One paper said that in Ireland, as elsewhere, more highly educated people and younger people are more likely to exhibit more tolerant attitudes to migrants. And another um, uh, researcher attributes what he calls the tolerance exhibited by the top Irish classes to the sense of personal security, which enables them to be more tolerant and open than their less secure fellow citizens at the bottom of the class ladder. So this idea that the more well off you are, the less threatened you are by immigrants. So therefore you can afford to be tolerant. So you looked into this class of people and did you find that they were tolerant? Well, what I found was that, and perhaps unsurprisingly for many people, racist attitudes are not confined to any particular social class. And they're not a problem, so to speak, for one particular um, group in our society. They're a problem for all of society. And what I found was that amongst the people I talked to, there was a range of responses. Um, Some were more uh, excited, even positive towards uh, what they saw as Ireland's new multicultural diversity, you know, where we're arriving in the 21st century type uh, scenario. Um, But there were others who were using 
and talking in terms of the same kinds of stereotypes um, and the same kind of negative uh, commentary about different nationalities that one would expect to have found amongst the literature on the uh, lower classes' response to immigration. So give us some examples of stereotypes then. Well, the stereotypes I came across, as I said, are the stereotypes I think we've we've all heard at some point in time. One would be the sexually predatory black male, the danger that they present to um, Irish women, white women. Uh, we have the terrorist Muslim, the criminal Roma, and on, on another level, then we have the very hardworking uh, lower class Polish person or Eastern European. None of these actually bear out in the facts, but they are stereotypes that circulate within our society, regardless of how well educated you are, regardless of how well read you are. And I think it, it's indicative of what researchers have found, the very few who are working in this field, in other societies where they say that there's a suggestion that somehow or another the professional class have risen above all of that kind of stereotyping and fear of the other. And where people make these claims and academics and researchers make these claims and the media and everybody else makes these claims, I still haven't been able to find anyone that will tell me what the actual causation is. How, by dint of the fact that you have an MBA, for example, does that make you more in tune with or accepting of people who look different or sound different to you. No one's explained that to me. So you you found then that what the professional classes do is they categorise immigrants. So they're not saying, oh, immigration is terrible. There are good immigrants and bad immigrants. Will you tell me more about that? Yeah, sure. So I suppose hierarchical orders is what we'd say in the academy, but you and I would know it as a pecking order. So, for example, when uh, I was talking to people, I noticed that... Nobody was talking about their American boss or their French neighbour or the little German girl that, you know, visited their house with their daughter or whatever. They simply weren't immigrants. And it actually took me a while before I copped on to the fact that these people were not even being discussed at all. And I had to ask about it. And what I found then was that they were regarded as not really immigrants. And they were spoken of as individuals, and that's an important phrase, an individual who had made a choice, a lifestyle choice to come to Ireland because of, you know, very positive things about our uh, way of life, our culture, etc. So they were just simply not in in the discussion at all. Or maybe were they working for big fancy companies like Google or they were surgeons, you know, were they fellow professionals? Would that have been an issue? You see... With that particular, say, let's say, white North American or Western European, the French, the Italians, whatever, I mean, they were just assumed to have, by dint of making a lifestyle choice, a choice, and therefore, obviously, they were middle or professional class. Mm -hmm. The stereotype then moves on to, and again, incorrectly, that the Polish and Eastern Europeans who were coming, they were being discussed as one large, homogenous or similar group not as individuals, but as a group, they were perceived to have been less well-educated, coming out of necessity, economic necessity, and therefore, to a certain extent, when we needed them during the Celtic Tiger, they were welcomed. But once the recession hit, there was a sense that somehow or another they should be going home, even though we know as a country with a long history of 
Irish people immigrating around the world, we don't expect them back when a recession hits those other countries. Who comes next down that list? Next and very close to the Polish and Eastern Europeans would be the professional non-EU. So, for example, your Indian or your Pakistani medic or IT specialist who were regarded as immigrants, yes, but highly acceptable because of, again, the contribution that they were perceived to be making to society. So they were amongst those who were more welcomed, shall we say. As you go down through the pecking order, you come to groups like, for example, asylum seekers. Um, Now, bear in mind, my data comes from the period around 2007, 2008. So the assumption back then was that the asylum seekers, many of them, not all, but many of them, were fleeing not war and famine and violence, but were fleeing economic problems in their own country Mm -hmm. and were somehow or another bogusly using the asylum system to get in the back door. And sure, of course, in that that respect, they were actively encouraged, wasn't it? Michael McDool, when he was Minister for Justice, I think around 2004, stood up in the Dáil or at an Oireachtas Justice Committee and was talking about how he... It was a shame people couldn't go out to Dublin Airport and hear the cock and bull stories that were being made up by people arriving seeking asylum. So they would have been actively encouraged in that idea that... These were fake asylum seekers. Well, I think that's that's why, um, you know, we need to not be so complacent. I say we as, uh, you know, professionals, middle class people in Ireland, we can't be complacent because, you know, a comment like that from a senior politician minister in this case, and also from policy writers or from, you know, influential people, as I say, in, in the business world, that can actually, shall we say, affect the attitudes of whole swathes of people, much more so than your, shall we say, working class person complaining over a pint about the number of immigrants that are in town. So we can't ignore the fact that there are negative attitudes towards people who are different to the white minority. So who's under the asylum seekers then on the list? Who comes next? Who comes next in terms of immigrants would be the Roma. Now, I should mention that because uh, it comes up quite often, some people feel that using the term Romanian is somehow a more politically correct term, that Roma is short for Romanian. Mm. Now, the Roma come from many different countries, either Italian Roma, Spanish Roma, Romanian Roma indeed. But they were again put together in in one group and it was about them which people felt very little censure in terms of how they were talked about as criminal, as, um, you know, allowing very early um, teenage marriage and girls in 16 and 17 to be married and have children. And that seemed to really disturb a lot of people. And you see on that... I suppose the the subtext of this conversation is is that the professional classes have varying degrees of racism, you know, and maybe that's not a term that you would use in this context. But maybe they would say, I don't care what ethnic group somebody comes from. What I care about is their behavior, their conformity to our social norms in this country and their contribution negative or positive to the economy. So they might say, I don't care what colour the skin is off a Roma or what clothes they wear, but I do disapprove of teenage marriages. I do disapprove of having huge families that they cannot afford. So if they're here coming, living off the welfare state, 
that is what I disapprove of, not their ethnic origin. Mm-hmm. Is there any legitimacy in that point of view, do you say? Well, I suppose there's a few things around that in that, first of all, we're talking about very few numbers of Roma in the country. Off the top of my head, I think at the time that I was in the field, we were talking about something like three or 4,000 Roma in Ireland. And yet the discourse and the amount of time that people spent in my interviews talking about them was quite disproportionate. So there was an exaggerated sense about how many Roma were in the country and also an exaggerated sense around issues around, for example, young couples getting married. I mean, that is part of the cultural tradition. You know, at different times in our society, in Irish history, people have got married later or earlier, again, depending on all sorts of issues around land, inheritance, etc., indeed even Catholic mores as to what was best. So if you take the way in which uh, the Roma are talked about, there's an exaggeration of fear there which is concerning to me. I don't think it's beyond, for example, a a society like Ireland to address any issues that there are within the Roma population here. And I also think it behoves us to take into consideration the way in which the Roma have been treated right back through the centuries. For example, very few people realise that many thousands of Roma died in the concentration Mm -hmm. camps and that they have had intergenerational poverty and discrimination. And it's very difficult to get out of that. And in the same way that in the West we like to think that we have intergenerational wealth inheritance, we also have ethnic groups like the Roma who have intergenerational poverty inheritance. And so I think we need to, in everything that I'm talking about, really what I suppose what I'm saying is there's a lot more complexity to these issues around immigration and racism and who's accepted and who's not. And it's not necessarily just about skin colour. It may be to do with religion. It may also be to do with your class position. And of class, there are groups that come under the Roma. Tell me about the unemployed and travellers, Irish unemployed and travellers. Yes, this was interesting because it was very clear, you know, in the call out, let's say, that I put two people to talk to me about immigration, that I wanted to talk about immigration into Ireland in the previous few years. And because I had to transcribe everything in, in the interviews, I started to notice that there was a lot of talk about, for example, Irish travellers or for about the Irish working class unemployed or underemployed. And I couldn't really understand what was going on. And because of the methodology I was using, it sort of instructed and forced me to go back and see, well, what is going on here? Why is this happening in the the talk? And what I began to unpack was that by talking about the Irish working class or unemployed in negative terms, for example, that they too were, you know, abusing the welfare system or many of them were abusing the welfare system, it was as if Anything that was then said around, for example, the Roma or asylum seekers or any other group, that they couldn't be accused of racism because they were including our own Irish in the lower parts of the pecking order in terms of acceptability. Hmm. So it almost gave permission to say, you can't say I'm a racist because I've just as negative things to say or almost as negative things to say about our own. Right. But is that a legitimate point that the issue here, so, is not ethnicity? The issue is, are you paying your way? So the immigrants who are seen to be paying their way and contributing and behaving according to our social norms are grand. And anyone who isn't seen to be paying their way, be they Irish, unemployed, slash traveller, slash Roma, 
well, then they get judged. So it's really about money rather than ethnicity. Would you go along with that? Well, some would argue that Ireland has become a very neoliberal yeah. uh, capitalist country and society and that this is something that should concern us. Because, again, if you, if you think even about the way you and I have been talking about it, we've talked about immigrants, we've talked about economics and jobs, but we only enter the workforce in our early 20s and we retire from the workforce in our mid to late 60s. So our economic contribution to any society at its best is only for a period of our lives. And in the meantime, we all have to be children and hopefully we all get to be happily retired people. It's about race in part and it's about money or economics or contribution in another part. And it's also about entitlement. Who's entitled to get the benefits from living in this society. That reminds me, it was the Noam Chomsky when he's writing about the media and talking about deserving victims and undeserving victims. Is that what we're going here, that there were some people, maybe Syrian refugees now, they will be the deserving victims, but maybe Nigerians, no, they are undeserving victims. Is there a bit of that going on? Well, interestingly, I have noticed that as the unfortunate situation for the Syrian refugees evolved, that Somehow or another, the discourse, both political and popular media around the Syrian refugees was quite positive and accepting. But in the same sentence, you'd find reference to how well educated the Syrians were, Mm. how these were dentists and doctors and and nurses and linguists and and that somehow or another, this meant they should be plucked from the sea, which, you know, that's great for the Syrians. But I suppose my concern is that you know, looking at my own research and the way different groups are talked about in, in all of their complexity and looking at what's happening now, I think, you know, we have to be very careful that we don't decide on who's going to live and who's going to not live on the basis of something like their well, it's class. contribution. Is it class, the basis of class, the well-off immigrants versus the poor immigrants? Well, the well-off immigrants are probably not on our radar at all because, frankly, they have their own ways of travelling and, and they, yeah. they, you know, it's unlikely that they're going to end up in destitute camps in Cali. I think in your research, you're, you're referring to a US researcher called Wellman who argues that middle-class whites are educated to verbalise tolerance. You know, so we'll say, oh, yes, this is a new Ireland. We welcome all family types And yet, when you actually look at people's social circles, maybe particularly outside Dublin, that actually we're just as socially conservative as ever in our views of how things should be done and what way people should behave. Well, exactly. I mean, there's there's work that David Wellman, and he's one of the few who's who's doing it, he's been looking at issues around covert racism. So this is not the in-your-face, either physical or verbal assault on the street to somebody who looks different. He talks about the covert way in which we can, simply by being more inclusive of people who are like us or people like us, by dint of doing that automatically, we are also being exclusive in the sense of we're excluding certain people from those So you mean circles. you'd invite someone to your house but not another person to your house. So you're not saying anything mean about the other person. You're just not inviting them to your parties or whatever. Well, I suppose I can only go on the data that I have and those black professionals who were, you know, high in the pecking order of acceptability, I think I only came across one or two people who 
socialized with somebody who was phenotypically or you know visually different so yes they were acceptable and yes there are people like us they're professional class they live in the same street but you know we're not necessarily playing golf with them on Saturdays right now one more question do we know how so the professional classes of Ireland compare to professional classes in other countries is this a unique thing that we're doing, categorising immigrants and judging them accordingly? Or is this actually pretty standard for professional classes in Western countries? Well, the first thing to say is that I can't be entirely sure because so little research has been done on the response of the professional class. And as I say, that's what and isn't, the topic. isn't that so interesting that it's just presumed there's no point looking into it because yeah, of there's course nothing they're broken. not. Yeah, racist. there's nothing broken yeah. there. So why would you waste your time? So that's one thing to say. Those few people who have done it, though, my research does agree with some of their findings. So, for example, you mentioned David Wellman. I found the same kind of attitudes of, you know, we don't mind people like us. In other words, people of the same class status living next door to us. Uh, regardless of how they look, that's fine. But we're not so sure about moving into an area where, for example, we would be in the minority, okay, in racial terms. On the other side of the Atlantic, you have uh, Steve Garner working in the UK, who has found, uh, insofar as the work that he did, it was quite limited, just because, again, he didn't get the opportunity. But he found people talking about economic uh, resource competition as taxpayers. So mm. uh, to mention the point earlier about it's not about school place competition or housing competition, it is resource competition in the sense that I don't want my taxpayers' money going to help these people. We should be looking after our own. And then, of course, famously for me, because it's one of the phrases that brought me to this whole area, you have Balibar, a theorist writing in France in the early 1990s, who talked about the way in which the political class are more versed in the wiles of acceptable speech and that they deflect the problem of racism onto other classes. And certainly I think my research would suggest that there's certainly some of that going on. Right. Well, professional classes of Ireland, look into your hearts. Martina Byrne is watching and we all are. Martina, thanks a million for joining us this morning. Not at all.